Hey guys, it's Tim V again. Uh, I just heard on the radio as I'm driving home from school that apparently the Home Alone house in Winnetka is now, I think what it sounds like basically is an Airbnb. And uh, from the ad, or it wasn't really an ad, it was someone talking about it on the radio, but from what they described, apparently you can rent it. And then uh, there's like, apparently like they've got it all decked out. There's cheese pizza. There are booby traps. Um, there's a live tarantula. This is what I've heard. So I don't know if you guys are going to get this in time, but I'm going to suggest that if you want to do this seriously and you want to watch Home Alone seriously, you might want to consider watching it at the house. Just saying. Regardless, guys, uh, I'm looking forward to that episode. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this year's holiday movie, we're watching one of the biggest Christmas classics of all time, Home Alone, written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. This movie has been a constant in my holiday movie rotation and is a favorite of many, You can't go anywhere, especially in the Chicagoland area where we are, and not hear one of the movie's many unforgettable lines uttered around family gatherings and while casing mansions for easy robberies. Home Alone was a sensation when it came out. John Hughes was already beloved, and Macaulay Culkin became a massive star as the movie raked in almost half a billion dollars worldwide. It spawned a successful sequel, an irrelevant sequel, and a recent rebooting on Disney+. Its instantly recognizable score was nominated for an Oscar, and audiences flocked to watch it in theaters and on video when it came out. Since its release in 1990, it is widely watched and replayed on TV. While Macaulay Culkin's meteoric rise hit a zenith a couple decades ago, the movie's popularity is almost a given among a sizable portion of the population. But does ubiquity mean quality? Or are we giving this movie till the count of ten to get its yella no-good keister out of here? Keep listening. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. in this house. You're the only one who has to make trouble. I'm the only one getting dumped up. You're the only one acting up. Now, get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. The third floor? Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. All right, so that was Kevin McAllister making his way up to the third floor Mm -hmm. uh, as played by Macaulay Culkin. Giving a little bit of a back talk to his uh, his mother, uh, the always yeah, great Catherine bit. O'Hara, uh, as Kate McAllister. It's a tense time in the McAllister household. Mm-hmm. Is not helped by the fact that he has been told he needs to pack his suitcase. 
Yeah. Buzz ate all the pizza. He knew all he hates sausages all and olives. Pizza. Yeah. yeah. He was a little picky. He was. He wasn't really, uh, well, you know, and that's kind of the, the way he is for the, a lot of the, the beginning of the movie is uh, not as much of a team player, I guess. He really isn't. No. And I, I, think, I think it's about time somebody takes him to task for that. Well, then they did. Kevin's he's going, culpability. He, he's going this. to the, the third floor. Yeah. And to sleep with his cousin, right? Fuller. Yeah. Fuller, his, his cousin. cousin, played by his brother. Who wets the bed? What's the bed and was and was and was not going easy on the Pepsi. <laughs> he so. was not. <laughs> so, yeah. So I do know this movie a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if you can't you, gather yeah. from, from that, there uh, our and little intro. The movie is, of course, Home Alone, Home Alone, which we said earlier, um, and also a bit of a plot spoiler. What the title? That's true. You know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. In this movie. Somebody's going to be Home Alone. So this is our seventh holiday movie that we've done yeah uh holiday is in the you know we've got the trilogy the right. the, the, the spooktacular the tea thanksgiving and then our holiday movie that we, yeah that we like to yeah. do now and uh Which i don't think we've done anything that's not christmas for the december no i think we've kind of we've kind of we've stuck with it and you know if you go back through our episodes i think some years are very jolly, mm-hmm. but there have been other years where I think we've been kind of grumps. Like we've been we, a little like, scroogey, yeah. We were scroogey about Love Actually, scroogey we about Elf. Elf yeah. um, Which I think know. maybe took some people by surprise. Yes. Uh, we didn't love Elf. And uh, and then we we had some of our most bitter arguments over our first one on Christmas Story. Oh, man. Um, so I think that the these Christmas movies that we do, it's it's a it's a toss of the coin, uh, yeah. you know, how they're going to turn out. If, if we're going to have a, a holly jolly Christmas yeah. uh, or if it's going to be a little tense, a little, you know, like a, a little, little blue Christmas. Yeah, blue Christmas. So um, Home Alone, for me, this is this is a staple. Home Alone is a movie that I have pretty much, I pretty much watch every single year. So I don't know that it's really worth talking about, you know, uh, repeat viewings, history with the movie. We can get into that yeah. a little bit. I will say, though, that this for me, and I don't know if this has an impact on what it meant to me or not, this is one of my first theater movies mm. I saw. I mean, I think, yeah, I was eight years old, so I was the oh, age of Kevin Sure. Uh, when it came out in 1990. I, I even liked it then. I, I thought it was funny. Uh, for, at, back then, I was mostly laughing at the, the slapstick at the end yeah. uh, more than anything. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then ever since then, it's like, this, is, this is a movie that like when I would visit my cousins, we would always throw this on um, around the Thanksgiving weekend. My brothers and sisters, you would always just kind of watch this around Christmas time. And it continued because this is also a movie that was a staple of my wife's mm. uh, growing up. And so once we got married, uh, this became something that we would just watch because it's it's just what you did. Yeah. You know? Did you have a similar experience? Or? Uh, not so much. I so I would have been about six when this movie came out. Uh, you know, I had a lot of friends who saw it, so I heard a ton about it, and you know, it was the talk of the playground. I think my parents were a little bit nervous about the violence, for lack of a better word, of the sure. movie, but. Um, I, I I distinctly remember the first time I saw it was actually at my aunt and uncle's house. We were on we were you know on a road trip and we're at their house in Pennsylvania and uh, rented it and watched it and I was super excited. Then I, I remember like I saw Home Alone two in the theaters. Yeah, I um, saw that too. And so yeah, and then I, I I I'm sure I saw it a few times as a as a kid. But it isn't one that I I go back to. Um, okay, it doesn't hold the place in my heart that it does for you or for a, a lot of other people, um, which I don't begrudge. But um, yeah, so it actually has been a bit since I've seen this, probably within the last ten years. But 
Not especially recently. Yeah. Definitely not since I've had kids. So your boys are eight. Yes. I did not watch it with them this time, though. But they um, have seen they it. Saw, they watched it for the first time last year. Okay. And, so they've um, just seen it the one time? Or are you going to show yeah, it to them again this year? We will. I, I just I had to watch it for this podcast. You and, can't mix business um, and pleasure. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And they they it was weird because it was one of those last year where they were not interested in watching it. They were in a mood where they didn't want to watch anything, you know, yeah. like, or they wanted to watch like, you know, YouTube or something like that. Right. So, so, you know, we put it on and they, they would, they were in this really sort of obstinate attitude, but then you could tell they just like kept looking at the TV mm. and then eventually by the end, they were pretty into it. Um, okay. I don't know that they would say they loved it, but they did say they wanted to watch the second one this year. So oh, okay. we'll probably, we'll definitely Are watch, gonna the watch second both. One. I think they should to get caught up, you know, just sure, to, you yeah. know, I mean, the fill, fill in those gaps. doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> right. If they if they don't remember it, if they were half watching the first 45 minutes, yeah. they're going to be lost I know. in New York. Exactly. And that's the place. So yeah, so okay, so you don't have quite the place in your in, in the place in your heart for home alone every year. Right. Um but it's it's interesting. It does have a place in my heart as a child. Like it yeah. was such a big like for Pretty much five years, Home Alone was like yeah. huge. Yep. So from six to eleven, it was you know the movie or yeah. movies. Um, so I, it's definitely like a part of me. It just never continued being a part of me. Well, so and this will be uh, it'll be interesting to see where the, the conversation goes in the podcast, at least on my end, because I don't yeah. really know how to talk about this movie I know. in any way that separates uh, right. my experience with it. But uh, I will say that you know this time around, I was trying to watch it from a little bit more of a, a, a little bit more of like a critical angle. Like what is it exactly that in, and not just for me, for so many people, like what right. is it that hits with this movie? You know, mm-hmm. what is it that connects with people? Because I mean, even home alone two didn't really have the same impact and they've tried to do this over and over again. Yeah. It's home alone movies, yeah. but it just never seems to hit the same way. And I have some yeah. theories about why that might be. Um, and then maybe we can get into some of that, you know, about what is it that, and also just thinking about, I was this time around, I was really trying to think about like, first of all, why did it even have, it didn't really have to be a Christmas movie. You know, the plot itself Mm -hmm. isn't completely, isn't, doesn't completely rely on Christmas. Of course, the, the sort of like contrivance of it certainly revolves around Christmas. But if you'd wanted to make a movie of that, that really is just about a kid that gets left home alone. There's not really a reason it has to be a Christmas movie, right? but it was right. And trying to think about, as I rewatched it this time, like what is it that makes this a good Christmas movie for me? But those are the kind of angles that I'm going to kind of be looking at. I think Uh maybe a little bit in this. Yeah. I I mean, I don't want to, you know, because I think I saw in Letterboxd, this is a five-star movie for you. Well, it has to be. I mean, you do mm-hmm. you watch a movie every single year, right. and uh, it's going to start to have this little special place in your heart that sure. you know, can't really be replaced. You know? So I'm not, I'm not looking to you know, Christmas story you here. <laughs> um, but I, I think I could take it more now if oh, you wanted I think, to. Yeah, I think we're, yeah. we're better at it. Um, but I don't want to do that to our, our listeners either. And, but I, but I, I will say that like as a movie it was sort of like eh, okay like a lot, oh, of, right. a lot of a lot of like just generally as a movie experience it's sort of like this is certainly not perfect um oh sure and i've got you know and even some things that just were sort of like i don't want to lean too heavily in this but i can see why for my parents it was a movie that they were like well, we don't necessarily want to watch this all the time and for me now it's like oh yeah i don't need to watch this movie all the time um but i think I'm really interested to talk about 
what was the special sauce of this movie because mm-hmm. there was yeah. absolutely something about it. Yeah, um, because if you want to pick it apart, you certainly can. Yes. It's easy to do. And Roger Ebert um, did. And I actually agree a lot with what he said as as like issues I had with it. Oh, but, um, I mean, you certainly could. Um, but I think like you said, there's some sort of secret sauce that's kind of gluing the whole thing together mm-hmm. that if you're, if you're just, if you're just with it, it can kind of be the full package because it can mm-hmm. give you that sentimentality that yeah. you might be looking for in Christmas movies, that heart warmth, which you're not going to get in, say, something like Christmas Vacation. Right. Okay. But yeah. But you're going to get the comedy of Christmas Vacation because mm-hmm. you got the John Hughes thing going for it and the sort of Chicago land, right. late 80s, exactly. early 90s uh, Christmas vibe going with it. You've got... I mean, and, I'm, and the I'm not comic just, chops of the the actors. Yes, and I'm, you know, and we're, the casting on this, and not not even the minor actors mm-hmm. is just spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, Macaulay Culkin does a really good job. Uh, he's got to carry the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just talking about even the secondary players in this. Like, right. there's not really any bad casting choices in this. Um, right. And and they're not all predictable. You know. Right. Like. Joe Pesci, what the hell is he right, doing in exactly. this movie? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this was, I think, the same year that Goodfellas came out? It's like that or the year after or something. Like he it had was already, either he, the year he, of or the year before. Yeah. I think it was the year of. It was the year of. Because um, it was 1990, which was the year of Dances with Wolves, which is, you know. Yeah, and I guess um, Chris Columbus, who directed the movie, um, he was a big, he was a huge Raging Bull fan, right? And then he was just kind of like, it would be funny if we get Joe Pesci, and then they just got him, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that to me is just the, it's funny to me that Chris Columbus would even think that the guy from Raging Bull would be a good fit. Well, what's for yeah movie. for sure. But what's even funnier is the generation of kids who knew Joe Pesci as, as a child's the, as, movie as the wet bandit villain, yeah. right? And then grow up and be like, he never did that again. Or before, like that, that was like nowhere a weird, near a weird detour in yeah, his career, you right? Know? And and for a movie that, like, the more you read about this movie, that it was never, no one thought it was going to become what it became, right? The only way they could sell it to the studio was to say, "We think we can make it cheap," you know. Yeah. I mean, no one it was really eighteen million dollars. No one the really, budget. yeah. And I think they actually sold. Well, there's a story around this. I don't know if we really want to get into it, but it is kind of interesting. Where it was originally a Warner Brothers movie. Okay. And they told him, we'll make it for 12, I think it was 12 million. And they said, well, if you can stick to that budget, um, then we'll do it. And also this, you got to think in this day and age, the idea of like an eight year old kid carrying the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a huge risk at the time. Um, yeah. You had had things like maybe Stand By Me or Goonies where it's like a group of kids or something. You know, and Chris, Chris Columbus wrote the Goonies. So, I mean, you know, he had some idea of like, you know, um, working with younger actors. Yeah. So they, you know, the studio said, if you can make it for that, then go ahead and do it. And, um, they, you know, they were working on it and, um, really working hard to keep it in budget, but it was just ballooning to about 14 million, which, mm. you know, sound might sound like a lot unless you start to look at how much movies cost, especially even back then. Yeah, like right. that was still a really, really cheap movie to make. Um, but the studio didn't really have enough faith to let them keep ballooning the budget, even if it was oh. by 2 million. Wow. And they had already built the sets. They built the sets at New Trier High School. Oh, really? Um, they built ent- the entire interior of the house. So that exterior that you see was only of uh, that house. That's in Winnetka. And that t- actually, Tim, our listener Tim, mentioned at the beginning of this episode how you can rent it for yeah. the Airbnb. They may have done up the inside now, but at the time, they really only used that house for exteriors. The entire inside of the house was all built from scratch room by room in new trier in the gym wow that's crazy (laughs) 
Yeah, they basically just had a, a school at their disposal. And I believe it was the same school that 16 Candles was shot in. Uh, well, I know that John Hughes had shot there. I think the library was the Breakfast Club library. Yes, or Breakfast Club. Sorry, I meant to say <laughs> Breakfast Club, not 16 Candles. Yeah, um, and if, if you're not from the Chicagoland area, New Trier is an uh, incredibly big, wealthy <laughs> area. Like yeah. the, the It's in a very wealthy suburb of Chicago. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's really funny that they did that in the gym like that's super cheap like they weren't even in a studio no but they did have to like you know you're you're built you're basically building entire sets of a of house from scratch but also you know the the budget started ballooning with us you know casting and they in fact they had actually they wanted daniel stern yeah pretty early on but he was too expensive but he was too expensive but anyways so they kind of played a game of chicken with Warner Brothers where they were basically like, well, we just need a little bit more money. And Warner Brothers was like, no, we're not going to give you more money. And then the, the Warner Brothers was like, well, then we'll just shut you down. <laughs> and they had already built the sets. They had the entire crew. They were like getting ready to shoot. But I guess what had been happening behind the scenes, and I'm getting a lot of this from a Netflix show called The Movies That Made Us. And oh, there's an sure. episode of Home. So you can watch it yourself if you're really interested in this. But basically there were some conversations John Hughes was having along with some other people from 20th Century Fox. And somehow someone from 20th Century Fox got the script to Home Alone. And they really liked it. And we're like, okay, we know you're dealing with a lot of stuff from Warner Brothers right now. Just know that if Warner Brothers drops you, because we technically legally can't pick you up if they're if you still are under a contract with them, but just know if you get fired from them, just keep going and we will pay for the movie. <laughs> wow. So they were basically just waiting in line for Warner Brothers to drop uh, wow. Home Alone. And then they they sort of swooped in and picked it up and gave them a little bit more of a modest budget at what, eighteen million, you said? Yeah. So they were able to go back and get Daniel Stern. And, uh, you know, have a little bit more freedom to do to make the movie that they wanted to make. But even still, 18 million. I mean, that is not an expensive movie. But that just goes to show that, like, this was not a movie that anybody was predicting uh, was going to become the mega hit that it was, you know. And I feel like the the nostalgia for the movie is is hitting a peak with the Airbnb thing, but also Lego released a... um, Oh, the advent, the house, the house as an advent set. And I do think you're right that this is sort of hitting peak nostalgia now for, there's a lot of, it's sort of like a, a confluence of a lot of things. I think you've got like, in general, the nineties are kind of back. Oh yeah. And then you've also got like me where this was my childhood Christmas movie, but I'm 38 now. Right. And I've got kids who are getting to be about the age where I would want to share it with them. And I think it comes back to that special sauce. I do think that even new generations that watch it do like it, you know, and I think it keeps, it continues to grow because of that. Yeah. So for being a holiday movie, like you were asking, you know, what makes this such a good Christmas movie? Mm -hmm. What are, what were you seeing this time around? Well, a few things. Uh, Well, and I'll, I'll say right off the bat, um, I think John Williams saves this movie. He's a huge ingredient to that secret sauce. Absolutely. And it's, it's a borderline perfect score. Yeah, it is. And I think it also does a lot of heavy lifting and it works. Like I don't, I'm not usually someone that likes to have my, uh, you know, strings pulled that way mm-hmm. by a score. But I think uh, John Williams just has the ability for, to do that in this movie and not annoy me mm-hmm. or I, I definitely know when I'm being played yeah. <laughs> for emotion, but it's working yeah. and, and I'm fine with it. Um, I think that the production design on this is spot on, yeah. incredible. Like the inside of the house is like a Christmas house. You yeah. know, like what would that house look like when it's not Christmas? Like right. it's got really like green walls and red. Right. Walls. Yeah, it's all green and red, and like 
And so I think that like there's there's that aspect to it. There now I didn't live in Chicagoland when I saw it. I was living mm-hmm. in Indiana still. Nor did I. I was in Wisconsin. And so now this you know where Home Alone takes place is my home. Yes, basically. I mean, it's a little, well, a little bit north, yeah. but yeah. And that is um, also sort of a different world. True. <laughs> Um, but we've talked about this in the past where like that John Hughes yep. Christmas, which was also tapped into for Christmas vacation. Mm-hmm. There's just something about the way we grew up that that was just Christmas. And so if you talk about that aspect of the question, like what makes this a Christmas movie? There's those things that I think just uh, throughout the movie are consistent. Mm-hmm. So there's a consistency to the look and the sound of this movie. That's just Christmas throughout. Yeah. Now, when you get to like the kind of feelings you want watching a Christmas movie, like the warmth Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are moments, uh, if you're with this movie, that it really pulls off. That this movie does make this attempt this, that to 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 be something deeper. And uh, you've got like the the church scenes, um, mm-hmm. which I think are actually you know really well executed. They yeah. kind of take a break, a little a little uh, respite from the rest of the movie and the humor of it to give you something that's a little bit more meaningful to the movie deep in a way that the movie doesn't really necessitate. It's just a choice it made. That was a choice that was made in the script and a choice that was made by Chris Columbus to, to go there, to talk about family and to talk about uh, what it feels like to have regret and Christmas being a time of forgiveness and things like that. You know, that's not something that needs to be in the movie when you look right. at it on the face of it, but it takes the time to do that. And I think that's what actually what makes it a better Christmas movie by yes. doing that. Well, this movie is so often seen as a John Hughes movie that I think you would find a lot of people who would think he directed it. Right. But Chris Columbus, as much as John Williams saves this movie, Chris Columbus saved this movie. Totally agree. Because the character of Old Man Marley was not in the script. That's right. Yeah. And Chris Columbus said, we need something to be that sort of emotional so this movie and i was trying to picture the movie without that and i'm like this movie would be ferris bueller's day off yep. with an eight-year-old yep and obviously like ferris bueller's day off didn't go to the slapstick extremes but without a christmas and two old man marley as a character <laughs> you don't have the sentimentality at all right and the idea for the movie in the script was to end on the freeze frame of uh, you know, like the question, what did you do while you were yeah, while we right. were gone? Just hung around. Just hung around. Yeah. And then the screenplay said freeze frame credit. Which they could have done because you hear that cheesy laughter from the right. family and you know. But instead, yes. to see that reunion at yep. the end, like another that, choke made, up that elevates this movie beyond what the original vision was. Yes. So to know that, I was like, oh, this is a Chris Columbus movie. Yes. And Chris Columbus loves Christmas. And I think that you also see that even in his later work where I know people do watch Harry Potter as a Christmas tradition Mm -hmm. and you totally can. For sure. Because I think he's got this really great ability to just paint this warm winter Christmas picture for you and let you live in it for a while. And so what I find really interesting about Home Alone is it's got a lot of different yin and yangs to it Mm -hmm. that I think are what make it unique and kind of special i mean it's got this darkness to it. it's a very sardonic cynical yeah. the family you know they're 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 really awful they are awful but you know the yin and yang of that is 
you're never doubting whether the mother loves her kid. They're loving, but they're awful. They're, Uncle Frank may not love. Uncle Frank is the funniest thing because he's such an asshole cheap ass. And that, <laughs> yeah. and it, and it, and that never changes. Yeah. And he is so, that is, that's a very John Hughes like character to me. One of the funniest things to me now as an adult was the line where his mom says, when he wants to watch an R rated movie, <laughs> And he said, Uncle Frank won't let me. And his mom says, well, if Uncle Frank says no, it must be really bad. He's just the worst. She doesn't trust his judgment at all. Every (laughs) single scene he's in, he is awful. Even the scene that I I noticed this the first time this time, they're in Paris, right? And everyone's kind of glum. And he comes out with these shrimp cocktails and he's like, look what I found. And then you hear in the background... The relative that you haven't even met yet. It's who they're staying with. Yeah. She's decorating the train. She's like, she's just like, Frank, those are for later. And she just has this look on her face like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's just giving them to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. But kind of pulling back a little bit, like part of what's great about this movie is that it's sort of equally a John Hughes and Chris Columbus movie. Like Chris Columbus kind of brings yeah. the heart and the warmth. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris Columbus also has a way of working with uh, Macaulay Culkin, where yeah. he is able to pull out a really, really strong kid performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got the John Hughes, just that really sort of worldly, cynical Chicago <laughs> humor yeah. that in the movie jerks back and forth between the two. And I don't really know how it pulls it off. And maybe people yeah. who watch it now don't think it does, or people who don't I, like it don't think it does. But I mean, just to go from like John Williams' more eerie, creepy score during the ice storm. Um, yeah. that has kind of a real ominousness to it. Yeah. Well, and it brings like a supernatural. Yeah, like it zooms in on that that Saint that Saint Nicholas uh, door thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah, and talking about like the marriage of the cynicism and the 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 kind of the warmth. If anything brings me back, it is the warmth. Yes, because it's a movie that you can just if you just have it on, it is an atmosphere that permeates the right. house. And another reason you can just have it on is because it's sort of just like skit after skit. Right. Like it just sort of like moves from one gag to the next, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you've watched it a couple years in a row, you're just kind of like strung along by those. It's like a series of iconic scenes. Right. I, I think there's not only the score, but of course what also makes this is an excellent choice of real Christmas music. So like rocking around the Christmas tree during the mannequin scene, the right. run, run Rudolph during the airport scene. It's just a really good collection of Christmas music throughout there as well. So, so that, that would be for me, what, what makes this uh, a good Christmas movie, mm-hmm. you know, why, why I come back to it around this time of year. You know? Yeah. I want to talk about performances in this movie. Um, I don't know if you can speak to this just because you've seen it so often, but having taken such a long break from seeing it, I was actually surprised at how I wasn't so taken with Macaulay Culkin's performance. Mm. I think that he's effective in it, but I don't know if he's good. I don't, I don't actually think he is that good. I feel like he just has sort of an on-screen charisma. Because there's moments where it really, it kind of feels like, you know, uh, a line delivery. Yeah. So in one sense, I'm kind of with you, mm-hmm. um, but I can't really separate, right. you know, I can't separate, I, I don't know that I could look objectively at Macaulay Culkin's right. performance. Um, 
I will say, though, that I think the script is just so well-written that he can deliver those lines. And if he, even if he delivers, delivers them kind of flat, that ends up becoming the iconic delivery of that line. Right. You know, it's because it's a really well-written line. Right. Like I'm sure there's other child actors, especially now yeah. who could probably do a more convincing job, right. a more realistic job of being an eight year old. But there's just something really, um, even when he's being a jerk, there's something almost endearing and charismatic about Macaulay Culkin doing that. Right. You know. Well, and that's why I would say effective, but not necessarily good. And I, I wonder if part of my judgment of his performance is that there have been so many great child performances since his. Yeah. Um, like the kid, I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but the kid who's in Home Sweet Home Alone, is the kid from Jojo Rabbit. I mean, that was amazing right. in Jojo Rabbit. And, um, you know, we talked about the kid from The Babadook. Like, there there are just, there have been child performances that are unbelievable. But I think it's effective because it's not believable. Right. Like, like if, we, if we actually believed that he was a jerk and not a kid acting like a jerk, it would totally throw off him as the central hero character. Yeah. And if we actually believed he was scared, then anything that happened couldn't possibly be funny. But then if you didn't have a kid who was as charismatic as him, it wouldn't make the lack of believability effective at all. This is ridiculous. Only a wimp would be hiding under a bed. And I can't be a wimp. I'm the man of the house. just interesting to me to watch it and be like this is not a good performance but i don't think a different performance would work and and i think that also whatever emotion needs to be pulled off in a scene they pull out a lot of tricks to do that so uh, we've already talked about the score helps Mm -hmm. a lot right uh but we've but you also have just where the camera is put in certain places like when he's for instance when he's uh running away he steals the toothbrush and he runs away and then there's just that he's kind of like in that really sort of gray area walking and it's the camera's at a distance and he just kind of says i'm a criminal you know like <laughs> right <laughs> it's just a really kind of sad scene you know but there's a lot more than just him delivering that line pulling that off and that's yeah. just an example where i mean and that's cinema it's just like all these mm-hmm. things kind of come together to help bolster up what performance that is right and it really was just kind of like well you got this really cute kid that's like you know um and he can he can do both like he can look like a jerk yeah and then he can also you know you you can feel for him still as an eight-year-old yeah and he's he is believable i think as an eight-year-old that's also just very like witty and like comes up with things quickly and yeah i mean uh, I think that was part of what Roger Ebert had a problem with. It just wasn't very plausible right. no, to him. It's not but, at all. But, it was not. But I feel like, like a kid Hogan... who's so smart that he can create this whole booby trap thing, but isn't smart enough to find a neighbor. <laughs> right. Right. Well, no, they're all away for the holidays, right? That's just the line that was given. But even once he, once he realizes yeah. that old man Marley is somebody he can talk to and is kind, he doesn't say like, hey, by the way, I'm there's... home alone. 
my family's in Paris, and I heard two robbers talking about breaking into my house tonight. Right. Do you think you could help me call the police? Yes. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of... I think in some ways this movie does a, a, a pretty decent job of at least getting the setup there. Right. Like how he gets left home alone. Like yeah. to the point where like they're so late that they run into the lady who has all their tickets and right. and then she can't find all the ones that go with each person and just says, All right, go ahead and get yeah, on the plane. Right. You yeah. know? Like they kind of cover their bases there, but then just the you're right, like the actual idea of how, you know, this eight year old uh doesn't really know to get the right help, you right. know. But knows how but knows, knows how to, to buy fabric softener and right. laundry detergent and like it, it's it's a bit of having it cake and eating it too. Yeah. Like yeah. oh the cuteness of this precocious kid, but don't look too closely at how precocious he is and the fact that he's not doing things that even a not precocious kid would know to right, do. Right. But I, I think as you're as you're talking about his performance, I think something that whether this was conscious on their part or not, something that makes his performance work is that he's kind of hearkening back in himself to like all the Peanuts characters. Mm, like yeah. you've got Lucy and Peppermint Patty and even like Sally who can be real jerks to Charlie yeah. Brown, but then you've got moments where he is Charlie Brown. Right. And uh, moments where he is Snoopy. Those are not great kid performances either. Right. They're line readings. Yeah. And line Literally. Cases. But they kind of glue to you during the season. Sure. And that's the only way I'll ever hear those line readings. I, right. I can't hear them any other way. Oh, and, yeah. And that's how I end up loving them for that. Yeah. You know? And I think it tapped into that like direct line to Charlie Brown Christmas, which yeah. that that feels like an extremely similar group of people would say Charlie Brown Christmas is Christmas. Home Alone is Christmas. There's this precedent for children not acting all that well and acting in ways that would be egregious in other contexts uh, and just distilled it into one person. Mm -hmm. And Macaulay Culkin was somebody who was able to pull that off. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, that's a good comparison too because I think one of the things I always liked about Charlie Brown Christmas was that it was kind of a darker story as well. You know, right. that there was a melancholy. Every Charlie Brown story is a dark there, story. There's, there's, a, there's a really, there's a through line of melancholy through that thing. Uh -huh. And I think if you're looking for it in Home Alone, the same is there with that too. Even throwing a Christmas party by himself. For himself, he's throwing, yeah. You know, he's going through the motions of Christmas alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, as an eight-year-old, which, you know, has a layer of trage tragedy to it. And I think that this movie is, this does not present you a sanitized version of childhood either. Like the, the, the feelings of childhood. Eight years old is a good age to kind of really first start wrestling with this idea of like, sometimes I really don't like my family. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of assuming because you're so young that that is the truth. Like, yeah. I just don't really like my family that yeah. much because I you don't, don't you don't have the, here. you don't have the, the foresight or the, 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 the ability within yourself to really kind of like realize, I just don't like them right now. Yeah. And, but I really do love my mom and dad, yeah. you know, like, and I'm dealing with this now because I have eight year olds and boy, they can get moody. Yeah. And when they get or moody. Or not understanding <laughs> that your parents are feeling, you are not the only one feeling like yes. you don't want to be here right, right. now. <laughs> right, exactly. And eight years old, from my experience, that's when the attitude really does start to come out. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the kind of the kind of back talk once in a while and all that kind of stuff. We were watching this last night and Kevin says to his mom, um, why don't you hang up the phone and make me or something like that. And I said to Andrea, we were watching this together, and I said, oh, can you imagine if Joel or Ethan said that to us? Like, they would be in so much trouble. You know, we just do not tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And then tonight, like, we're reading a book, and one of them didn't say exactly that, but basically said, why don't you do it? 
And I just didn't even think about it. Just like the parent in Home Alone, totally like, uh, you know, Peter McAllister. Yeah. Totally just like oblivious to, like almost didn't even realize. It just kind of bounced off me and we just kept reading or something. And Andrea's like, huh, what about that uh, movie last night, Nate? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do about this? You know? Yeah, that's so, funny. And that's where I kind of realized, I'm like, oh, you know, like I think this movie really did get eight-year-olds. And yeah, I think it Which got, was always John Hughes's thing to yeah. get young people. Yeah, and I think it gets that conflict and really actually dives deep into it of mm-hmm. an eight-year-old not liking his situation, not even thinking he likes his family. Yeah. And then I, I think that's what great movies do is they have someone, like if you're an eight-year-old watching this, which I was when mm-hmm. I was eight, movies kind of like put you in the place of someone else to play through your own li- right. your own your own life. And you, you you watch this movie and, you know, I remember as a kid watching this movie and just having this like appreciation for my mom, you know, mm. after watching it. I think that the movie is smart to not shy away from those dark things of childhood, but like Charlie Brown Christmas. But that's interesting because I was, I was thinking about watching this with our kids and 45 seconds into it, we were like, absolutely not. Our kids would not be able to handle it right now. <laughs> but then I was like, do I want them to see somebody bl- get a blowtorch to the head and like mm. a kid shooting someone with a BB gun in the forehead and mm-hmm. you know, just all that stuff. And I, I don't know if that's just me with my sensitivities um, as an adult watching it and being like super literal and thinking, Oh, I would never under any circumstances want my kids to entertain these ideas. Oh, sure. Or would a child be able to watch it? Because as a kid, I thought it was goofy and fun and I wanted to be Kevin, but I didn't actually want to hurt anybody. Yeah. And is it like, I'm not, I'm not able to put myself into the mindset of a child watching this. Who's like, this is just funny. I wish I would have done a little bit more research on this, but I almost feel like slapstick in and of itself is a throwback at this point. Like it almost feels retro in the 1990. No, like now. Like oh. right now, like oh. I don't feel like slapstick. Do people do slapstick? Do people anymore? do slapstick? I don't know. I think people are afraid to. There's this uh, trepidation, I think, now with using slapstick. Mm-hmm. But I do know that for this movie, even a, a big inspiration for that was cartoons. Like right. they watched a lot of Roadrunner cartoons to actually figure out how do you how do you do the camera? Yeah, to make someone getting hurt look funny. Right. And you know, my for instance, my dad. I mean, one of his favorite shows even still, I think, is Three Stooges, you right. know? Um, and so I think, though, I think that... was a huge influence on it. Yeah, and I, but, I, but I think that that's a little lost now. I, it's been a long time since I can remember, like, a movie that really leaned into slapstick as mm-hmm. a comedic device, yeah. you know? And it, it, I mean, it's entirely possible that those... I don't see those movies because they don't appeal to me. Yeah, I wonder. Well, and in, in that whole aspect of the movie, the Harry and Marv booby trapping the house, that's like the whole third act of the movie, basically. But it was a lot less of the movie than I remember. Right. But, you know, that is such a like touchstone of the movie. Right. I still remember like being so young, you know, and, and going to see this movie and not really knowing what happens in the movie mm-hmm. and like watching the planning of it, like and setting up of it and just being like, what is that for? What's that for? What's that going to do? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> And then just, and then it's just like the setup and then the payoff. Like you just see everything get set up and then Mm -hmm. you just sort of like see how all that plays into this. Oh, oh yeah. That's I mean, it's got so many elements of things that you like in a movie. Like (laughs) that's sort of a heist, you know, when a plan comes together and the planning of it and then operation ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in a zip line too. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, and I, and as I was going to actually say that I do think that uh, another thing that helps this movie out is the is the relationship uh, between Harry and Marv. Like that mm-hmm. that sort of their comic duo strikes the right note for what has to happen in this movie and how it has yes. to be executed. Like, you know, uh, Joe Pesci provides just the right stakes of this being still a very scary person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if you didn't know, I mean, even as a kid, I was like, that's, that guy's kind of scary. You yeah. don't mess with that guy, yeah. you know? Uh, Marv, and then, maybe not so much. Yeah. But... Marv being just sort of like the, the doofus, you know, and that playing off of each other, um, was smart, mm-hmm. I think, to just not have two scary robbers, right. you know, but also not to have like two complete goofballs, right? You know, exactly. This time around, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this definitively for all time or anything like that, but this time around, Daniel Stern was the best performance in the movie. I, I mean, I could see it. I well, think, I don't know about the movie, but yeah, he's so funny. Um, the physicality is incredible, but mm-hmm. also, even when it's not a physical comedy scene. You know, I, I guess it's always funny when somebody has unearned confidence. And for some reason, Marv has tremendously unearned confidence. What's so funny? What are you laughing at? You did it again, didn't you? You left the water running, didn't you? What's wrong with you? Why do you do that? I told you not to do it. Harry, it's our calling card. Calling card. All the great ones leave their mark. We're the wet bandits. You're sick, you know that? You're really sick. Not sick. Yes, you are. I'm not that's sick. That's a sick thing to do. You know, and both of them, I think, are really good. Even when it's not a stuntman, I think they're really good at just showing the right level of pain. Yeah. I was going to ask you what you think is the most painful thing that they went through. Like, just the one that makes you cringe the most, because it's all bad. Yeah. I think the nail the is nail probably the, the one that that is the worst. But there's also the scene where he steps on the ornaments and the sound design of mm-hmm. his feet on them. And then one of them breaks like on his toe. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, the way, so the ornaments for me only work because of the sound. I think the visual of they, they like turn to powder, but yeah, I think the nail in the foot's the worst. Um, but so is, uh, Marv's head after the yeah. blowtorch. Yeah. Their injuries are sort of like catered to them. Like he's all about burns. Yeah. And then, yeah, Marv is the one that it's feet for him. Like his feet just get destroyed. Yeah. I so one thing that I that I disagreed with Roger Ebert about in his review just because I think I don't know he he said that the weight of carrying the movie was on John Candy's shoulders. John Candy, yeah. Which I was like, he's he's in it for a lot less than I remembered, but I think I was just kind of confusing it with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Sure, but I do think that John Candy crushes it totally. <clears throat> they only had him for a day. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's also the only time in the movie where they even allowed much improvising. That's it's an interesting thing how non comedic Catherine O'Hara's performance yeah. is. Yeah. And when I like kind of came to Catherine O'Hara starting in high school, I was sort of like, Oh, the mom, the mom from, from Home Alone? Alone. Yeah. And then you watch like Waiting for Guffman, it's just like, dear God, she's mm-hmm. funny. And she is such a committed performer. Yep. Well, and that's the thing. I kinda wanted to talk about Catherine O'Hara a little bit because mm-hmm. it, I mean there really isn't much humor to the role at all so in that way she's kind of underutilized but she's also still i think really memorable Mm -hmm. in this movie i mean anytime i would see her in anything else i immediately knew her as kevin's mom you know 
And I, I'm really happy that now I feel like she's getting sort of like her due oh, yeah. with Moira and Shit's Creek. Creek right. And and I mean, that's just – now it's funny watching Home Alone and kind of being like, yeah, that's Moira. Yeah. You know, and having that sort of like reverse, reverse right. where like, oh, this is a rare straight performance she was giving. Right. But I noticed this time even, you know, because her and John Candy had worked a lot together. Right. And, um, you know, even just seeing how – it's John Candy's kind of performance, but she does a really good job of playing off of it yes. in a way that's like letting him shine. Like the way that she, when he keeps trying to get her to play the clarinet, he's like, come right. on, try it, try yeah. it. And yeah. she's like really kind and nice. Yeah. And then she just gives this one, no. And he's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think... Like she knows how to play off of him so well. Right. You know? And it it makes John Candy's cameo slot into the movie. Without being like, oh, here's a John Candy scene thrown in there. Yeah. Like she, like you said, she's seasoned at playing off of his. She's probably played the straight character to him hundreds of times yeah. up to that point. Because I mean, to think about that whole scene of him talking about, um, you being know, the, 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 being the Poco King of the Midwest, like that was all improvised. Like he was just making up that stuff on the spot, all the songs, all the towns, everything. Allow me to introduce myself, Gus Polinski. Oh, Polka King of the Midwest. The, the Kenosha Kickers. Hi there. Uh, yeah. No? That's okay. I thought you might have recognized. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why I, you know, just polka, polka, polka. Polka, polka, polka. No? It, Twin Lakes Polka. Damahuji Polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me Polka. Polka Twist. Well, these are songs. Yeah. Yeah, we some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. <laughs> yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it, you know. I'm sorry, did you say you could help me? A- anyway, I'm dead rain, winner. <laughs> you know, to be able to play it straight off of that, and still, I mean, she has to not only play it straight, she has to still play this mother that's like... You can't is, lose this, the emotional this is the last thing stakes I need right of that now, scene. You know, right. But I think, too, that there's... So, when Steven Soderbergh made The Informant, which I don't know if you saw that movie. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, it's great. Matt Matt Damon Damon gives the broadest performance in that movie. But the movie is populated almost exclusively with comedians. Mm. And um, it also makes me think of Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thought behind all of that is that comedians kind of bring an energy that wants to break out they like they they have to restrain so much of their natural performing tendencies to play it straight like that but that underlying energy and that desire to like break out Mm -hmm. is just an undercurrent to any comedian not trying to be funny and so i wonder if that is part of what makes the believability of okay so like whether or not it's believable that they would not be able to get any word home that doesn't really matter to the way we're experiencing it because Catherine o'hara has an intensity behind it Mm -hmm. and so there's almost just like an energy that is believable i think so yeah um and again not to undermine I, i hope that doesn't sound like i'm undermining her ability to perform that way but that there's just something about her that we know she could do or that she knows she could do but she can't because of the way she's playing. I think even as a kid, I I wouldn't have been able to name it, but I think you kind of pick up on it. Like she's definitely playing a straight role, but then there's little moments like when she's calling the police Mm -hmm. 
And the way she says, pick up, pick up, pick up. <laughs> like there's just, that's, that's that, that what you're talking about. That's sort of like underlying energy. That's Being able like to break to that out. in yeah. at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in a moment that um, could have been played fully dramatic. Yeah. Like pick up, pick, like just, yeah. like just, just really, really sad. start like, falling really, apart. You know, but just to have that little inch of anger. Yeah. That's a comedian's choice. She really walks this thin line well of, you know, uh, of being a mom that you completely relate to as far as how traumatic and hard that Mm -hmm. would be to have your eight-year-old left and making all these sacrifices. um, And and it's wearing on her. You can see it, Mm -hmm. you know. But having those little moments where she's not bringing levity, Mm -mm. not really, but she's bringing this comedic tension that's you know right. that that that's just conveying all those things in a way that's just slightly funny just yeah. a little bit you know just the right amount of fun yeah you know tips tip like she is surfing as the kind of like razor's edge where it could tip into really scary and tragic or it could be ridiculous mm-hmm. and she just tips it enough towards ridiculous every time it could tip the other way and then there are times where the movie needs no help being ridiculous <laughs> But when, but but it allows the movie to make those huge swings. Yeah, and I think it all comes up in that the ultimate moment where they get to meet each other again. Yeah, and I did want to talk about how that almost single handedly through score creates a complete letdown that you feel because Mm -hmm. he wakes up and he thinks his family should be there, and the swelling of everything in that is just gigantic. That's just such brilliant work as a, for the score because you are then where you need to be with Kevin. Yeah. Like, what a letdown. That is so sad. Yeah. Even though, like, so much of you knows his family's going to be there. Right. Like, it's going to be fine. So it's smart because they actually give you the payoff score you would want mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. and then let you down with it. Right. To give you what's actually more powerful, which is a very sad sort of, like, soft strings her just being there and it having it being a more quiet moment. Merry Christmas, sweetheart. Oh, Kevin, I'm so sorry. So that's a really smart choice to have yeah. it be a quiet moment like yeah. that. It takes you out of being an audience member where you're like, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. To be yeah. like, yeah, we get it, the music. And then, oh, no, we're with Kevin, which is where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And then it just doesn't even end because then you get another joyful moment when the rest of the family arrives. And then it goes back to the sadness. It just swings so well. And it swings to the the quiet moment with old man Marley and mm-hmm. him reuniting with his family. Mm-hmm. And then it swings one last time to Buzz saying, what did you do with my <laughs> to my room? That right. John Hughes moment. Like right. it still ends on that little John Hughes exactly, moment. You yeah. know? Um, and I think that's just a big reason why it works. It's just such a great coda because, you know, you had all that goofiness with Harry and Marv, you know, and it all ended up fine. And I think a lot of movies would be like, well, now I don't really know how to end it. I guess we'll just have the family come back and let right. that be that, you know. Which but, was the original script. <laughs> right. Family comes back and freeze frame. <laughs> But, you know, to kind of have, like, this coda that is, like, really surprisingly meaningful and touching. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of what makes it a lasting movie. Mm-hmm. And I find that most Christmas movies usually lean one way or the other. 
You yeah. could almost put them in two different camps. Like the movies you just watch for fun, like your Christmas vacation, and then your movies that you watch for that Christmas feeling. Right. It's a Wonderful Life, Muppet Christmas Carol. Even though Muppet Christmas Carol has great comedy in it, yeah. it's different kind if of That's comedy, all you're watching it you know? for. You're, you're, buddy, you're watching it wrong. <laughs> Yeah, we can't we can't do one Christmas movie episode without having like our our almost like angry. Yeah. Why are you not watching about the Christmas Carol right now? <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you don't have to pay too much attention to this movie, and in fact, the more attention you pay to it, <laughs> the worse off for you. Probably. Yeah. So it's it in that way. If you do want to get everybody together, and we're all going to watch it it's rewarding that but at the same time if you want to have it on while you're in and out of the room yeah. or um while you're doing a puzzle or whatever sure it's like oh yeah it's, or, it's fine for that too yeah and i feel like the way it was watched most of my life was it was the movie that like the f- older family would put on for the kids for to the watch kids, yeah. and then they would usually fall asleep yeah like you'd see them sleeping on the couch you know and hey we need those movies yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so like, yeah, I mean, there were many ways that I just didn't give myself over to this movie and I'm not going to fault it for that. That could be because it hasn't been a part of my life every year, but like, I'm not, I don't need to talk about it all. Like we've said, it's, it's such a good Christmas movie and sure. it serves so many purposes and so much is working for it and so much of it could have gone way worse. And I, I, I'm, I do not give Chris Columbus a lot of credit as a filmmaker. Generally, I agree. <laughs> like, I, mean, I think he probably most, deserves more credit. I think than he, he does. Yeah. I think for as much as Alfonso Cuarón transformed the Harry Potter series into what it became, I don't know that you've got as successful a start without Chris Columbus making it yeah, just think... a warm series. And if Home Alone was a by the numbers John Hughes movie. I don't think it would stand out much more than the other John. No, Hughes because movies. it would actually not have much of that Christmas feeling we were talking no. about. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I think that Chris Columbus is someone that made this movie. He, I think he elevated the material mm-hmm. for sure. So oh, I am curious though. Before we really wrap this up, though, I mean, I yep. know that you don't want to ruin Christmas. Uh-huh. I understand that, <laughs> but I do want to hear you out. Like, were there things that like actively bothered you? Not just like annoyed you, but you're like, no, I don't. I mean, that I do not like what this movie is doing right now i um i wouldn't say that i mean i guess uh, we we kind of talked about the kid thing like i I don't know what age is appropriate for my kids to watch this but i don't know how much of that is just me being sensitive because i know people do show this to their kids when they're younger and i'm not gonna say like oh my gosh (laughs) right but yeah watching it i was like i just don't know if my kids would enjoy this yeah and i don't know if I would be comfortable showing my kids being like, no, it's funny. It's fun. Like, enjoy it. I think two things that are very surprising when you're watching this now, if you haven't seen it for a while, is the edginess of the family dynamic. Yes. It is not oh, that, that was, pleasant. That, you know? and, well, and, they're, and they just like insult each other. Yeah. And, you know. That was the other thing. Like, as we were watching it, like, like I said, very early into the movie, we were like, oh, yeah, we're not. Like, they're all just calling kids. each other names. And so yeah, what and I'm like, saying I wouldn't, is that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing off my ass yeah. like just stuff <laughs> which, like that i'm like Ooh. which in a way is like a, it grants it this uh i'm sure authenticity for some family dynamics yeah. but it's just not ours like no, if, yeah. if 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 their cousins came over and started talking to each other like that we'd be like what is going on right, like exactly. <laughs> but there was Have something you guys been watching home alone 
but it's also kind of funny. And I and and you know, families can be yeah, rough just around the edges. Exaggerated and families yeah. can be rough around the edges. And, but I do think that that's super surprising to see in a family movie now. And I think that there has been just a little bit more attention paid to violence in movies. I, I think even as a parent now, I'm more conscious i think of what violence i yeah. i showed to my kids than yeah, i think really. my parents ever were because yeah. my parents only seem to really care about sex yep the violence if you're not used to it if it's been a while since yeah. you've seen that kind of thing it can kind of like throw you for a loop and remind you that like oh, that was kind of the 90s or that was kind of like the the time you know especially american movies i should say like american movies did not really think much of violence i wouldn't fault the movie for that in fact because right. i because i obviously love the movie i love it for what it is and everything um, but it is something that I, I acknowledge is a little odd to see, like now if you haven't seen it for a while, right? You know, it throws you off, you know. And that's always such a hard thing with, that we've talked about a million times. Um, I mean, this is episode ninety nine, <laughs> right? What do you do with what was fine at the time and is uncomfortable for you now? Like, I think we've come to the point that we we are fairly practiced at not faulting a movie but also taking inventory of its place yeah for yeah. us now it's interesting to me that i spend a lot of time thinking about that and i just don't think my parents did right and and i and i'm not i don't feel like i'm scarred from that so that's, that's where i, I kind of try to i kind of try to like hold that in balance where i'm like i want to be intentional right. about what i expose my kids to and how i talk about it and all that yeah. kind of stuff on the same token, I don't want to be overly sensitive about it. Right. And I also want to be like John Candy. I kind of want to be like, kids are resilient. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know like, know they, they can handle this. And you know? like you like, said, we we grew up watching Home Alone and other things. And I grew up to be somebody who really hates violence. You know, like, right, exactly. So like, like, you, you, <laughs> what, so like, if I'm watching Home Alone and being like, my kids can't see this, there'll be people who are prone to violence. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. No, not really. Yeah. But I don't want to push them into something that they're uncomfortable with because it's like, I watched it and I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Right. It's just, it's just a really weird place to be like, this is a kid's movie. I would not show this to my kids right now. And like the tension of watching that being like, well, I know it's supposed to be funny, but I wouldn't want my kids to think this yeah. is funny. <laughs> like, well, and I, I, I will say, uh, you know, and this isn't sort of a anything to to that I would transpose or project on any other parents. Everyone's no. got to make their own decisions. But for me, I think this is a movie, even targeting wise, demographic wise, like I think it's a movie like four, eight, and up. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I, I actually think this is a movie like that. It's so centered on that eight-year-old experience i don't actually know if much younger kids are gonna get the same thing yeah. out of it which you know? yeah like i said i mean we, we showed our kids when they were i think we showed them for the first time when uh, the movie when they were seven and even then they were kind of like i mean they like parts of it and other parts yeah. they're kind of tuned out and I, I i think that they maybe are just now getting to the age where i think yeah. that they would you know uh be able to kind of see it for what it is yeah you know and everybody knows their own kids like i mean you know i definitely know my kids would not be ready for this movie right but I do think it's a good family movie. Like yeah. it was for us. I, I tell you what, I I just look at, I think about like um, the ratings board and stuff and this movie gets made today. I think it gets a PG 13. Oh yeah, probably. You know, I think that, I think that's just a, to me, that's a sign of how I think even culturally we've changed as far as how we view family movies, yeah. you know, family movies. When we talk about family movies, usually we're talking about movies that are probably for kids like three and up. Yeah. So, um, anyways, I guess we didn't even do star ratings. I mean, I, this is a five star. Yeah, I know. For it's me. A five I don't know what it is uh, where where you would land it. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to rate it because yeah. you know this movie. To me, it would be like rating your family reunion. 
Like, I'd be like, I mean, yeah, some of the food was good. I really didn't feel like I knew anybody. Like, the, but that's not the fault of your family reunion. Right. Like, so for me, it's like a three and a half star movie. But it's also possible that my kids do love this movie. And as a family, it becomes like a really special thing. Sure. And it could go up. And I do think it's a great, great Christmas movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that was going to be another question. So yeah, that's good. It is a good Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. No Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, well, what is? But it's a good Christmas movie. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. All right. Well, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have thoughts on Home Alone because, you know, we've all seen it pretty much and uh, Mm -hmm. we'd love to hear those. But uh, maybe before we uh, do that, let's talk about uh, what we're going to be doing for our uh, next episode. Well... Our next episode is a milestone episode. I it's, I don't know if I ever thought we'd make it. Not that I didn't think that we were going to enjoy doing this or I didn't envision us doing this for the next 50 years or something. It's just when you're young, you don't think about getting old. That's, that's what it is. So This is a huge milestone. It is. It's not. I mean, you're right. I don't think I just didn't know if we'd ever get here. Yeah. So we're, we're talking here. This is going to be our, our 100th episode. 100 episodes of this podcast. It'll be almost eight years. A hundred episodes strong. Um, here's to a, a hundred more. Like I'll say that next <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Here's to ninety nine more at this point, and right. the next time I'll say here's to a hundred more. more. Yeah, and a hundred years. In a hundred years. I don't see why we'll not. Switch into the annual episode. They're going to be thirty six hour long episodes. A yeah. hundred years, a hundred episodes. It's kind of like right. an AFI. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I do think this is actually like my longest creative project. Hmm. And that, yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. definitely true you know. for me. Except, oh, well, I mean, we both been working with Mark on his thing, Mark Zuckerberg oh, on fa- his thing for his little Facebook that's been a project. While, yeah, yeah. Actually, at this point, I want to I want to distance myself from my my involvement <laughs> right. in that's, that creative that's project. His creative project, you know. So that's a yeah. But no uh, strict definitions. Yeah, this is my longest yeah. creative project. I'm, I'm proud of you too. Yeah, good thank job. You. Thank you. Good job on that. Well. I mean, you you put in the hours editing. I I, I appreciate that to well, no thanks. end. Yeah, and well, you, you put out a great product. You've <laughs> ruined you've ruined badly edited podcasts for me. <laughs> I can't listen. I'm like, oh man, that's a clear cut, and I didn't like that at all. That could have been feathered a little bit. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a labor of love, and boy, is it a lot of labor to polish this thing up. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, yeah, no idea. Any anytime we have a guest on, they're like, oh, I don't know what to say, and Nate's like, I will. I am very practiced at editing. <laughs> in main comments they'll sound good you're gonna you're gonna like the way you look i yeah. guarantee it it was a men's warehouse thing i was Classic. going for <laughs> oh man <laughs> but yeah a hundred episodes uh we're gonna we're gonna change things up a little bit we're gonna introduce we're gonna introduce get, ourselves get to know you yeah. a little bit which uh 100 episodes, 100 episodes in we felt in. like it was probably due to do a yeah. little get to know get to know nate get to know ryan i yeah. just said myself in third person i don't that's usually fine. do that yeah. you'll learn that about me in the no next actually podcast. you will yeah. learn that that's how nate talks about himself all the time <laughs> he curbs that for the podcast that's right that's we right decided yeah. a creative decision early on early on i was like neither nate, of us are gonna nate likes this movie <laughs> ryan not so much and and yeah. then i was like this sounds weird yeah. it's confusing yeah it was i'll I'll drop the third person. That was a production and note. It was, off. yeah, yeah, early on. I don't think it, we'll see for the back for the back hundred whether or not we pick up the third person third. thing again. <laughs> let us know. There's a lot of different ways to get back to us. Yeah, so let Nate know what uh, what you think of the third yeah, person. But we're not quite ready to go into our our, our contact. No, we got to talk about. Yet, we got to preview the next episode. Yeah, we, we realized that as many movies as we've watched and talked about. We've had a lot of different reasons for picking those movies, and 
them being the most important movies to us hasn't really been part of our selection process. No, they maybe have been like hinted at. Right. We've never really taken the time to just talk about like what are the movies that define. I mean, I think it even goes beyond favorites a little bit. It like, does. It's yeah. sort of like the movies that that do make us who we are. You yeah. Know? And uh, it it's gonna because I could tell you what I think my favorite movies are, but to tell you what are the movies that like make me who I am as you know a movie watcher as person is just a lot of different things that's gonna that's gonna take some yeah we'll have to think sink. about it i have to think about that too and i say so i think which will actually the, also be a first for us to think about things yeah for sure i mean i don't i don't tend to do a lot of thinking period i literally don't know what i say as soon as i said it like right now do you know Currently, what you just said like do you know after i'm the following fact? the train of thought okay they call that living in the moment. And I think it's served us well for 99 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Has this it is, been 99? It's been, it's been 99. Has it been 99 episodes? Yes, that is yeah. crazy. You know, I think right now we're settling on what? I think we're going to do maybe five Five each. movies, yeah. Five movies each, so then we'll kind of go back and forth. I don't even mm-hmm. think we have like a good, you know, spiffy title for this. No. The, the, like, uh, well, I mean, because we're not thinking yet. Right. We'll think when we need to. We'll think after this. The, the thing that's coming to my, my mind is five movies. Okay. Okay. Like, maybe that's as, just a start. As part that, of maybe it, that's just a start. Like the, the I was going to say that was the whole thing. Okay. I can see it being part of it. Okay. Five movies. That's a good note. Dot, dot, dot. And maybe it's just dot, dot, dot. Fill in. Okay. Okay. Just so that people know that there's there's something more. There's to come something more to come. And okay. we don't even need to fill that in. It let, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, but it's just for oh, the title okay. of the podcast. Okay. Five movies, dot, dot, dot. It was whatever the listener yeah, wants yeah. the rest of that So title. you pick five movies is what we'll call it. Dot, dot, uh, dot. Well, but then it seems like you're telling the listener to pick five movies. I thought that's what you were saying. Choose no, I was saying... I'm choose, choosing my own adventure. I guess what I'm saying is that five movies, mm-hmm. dot, 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 that's like for them to choose their own adventure for the title of the podcast. Oh. Not for the actual podcast clear. itself. Okay. Because we're doing that. We're picking five okay. movies that make us who See, we See, that's are what I thought we had them. decided on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, five movies each. All right. Well, I'm still workshopping it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We're not really thinking right now. We'll see how it we're, goes. We're thinking later. That's coming. This. Yeah. Yeah. The movies that made us. <laughs> what if we <laughs> called it that? that? We could. We could do that. And Where did I? I, I, I don't know. I heard that. That idea just came, came to me. Well, it would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, I am actually like... A thousand oh, and oh, one uh, movies to watch before you die. Yes. You could call it that. Yes. I've, uh, I, I've also never heard of that. Yeah. Best picture. We could call it. Best uh, picture, uh, musical or comedy? A uh, uh, hundred movies, five movies. The, the movies that made with us. an arrow from a hundred movies to five yes. movies, so the people right. know there are a hundred movies, and we're picking five. Right. Hundred episodes, a hundred movies. We'll call it. Hundred episodes, hundred movies. Talking about five. <laughs> five each. Five each. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Hundred movies, hundred episodes. Talking about five each. <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I, I'm just astounded <laughs> at your ability to workshop this in the moment. Well, yeah. just be so witty. <laughs> right. And to the point. <laughs> Three points, dot, 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 at the end. Yeah. Right, exactly. But yeah. it ends on one point, am I right? Right, right, yes. So yeah. that's what I meant. So we, we, you know, we would love to hear your thoughts on Home Alone, of course. Um, but also... I don't know what are what are the movies that made you. I think that would be great. What do you think about when you think about like if the we could kind of that... sprinkle in like other people's yeah. five movies or one movie or two movies, whatever right. you know. Yeah. Uh, all kidding aside, like I do think this is like you know going to be a, a really 
fun episode to do, and yep. I think it'll be a great like hundredth episode to do. Yeah. You know. But uh, we would, like we said, we would love to hear your your thoughts on um, your list or just a couple movies that really stand out in that way, uh, and of course Home Alone. So you can you can find us on our friend Mark's website facebook.com mm-hmm. yeah can we still be french podcast is is where we're listed there and we're also on his other project instagram that's can we still be friends pod uh we have our website which is can we still be friends.net and our email is feedback at can we still be friends.net and you can of course always leave us a voice message mm-hmm. 847-306-9532 how about this starting no. at a hundred no. No, nope. you give. The I knew phone you were going to say that. You give the phone number. There's once, no reason. Just once. A hundred episodes in for me to learn that phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I've only heard it 99 times. <laughs> That's true. It takes. I, I hear it takes a hundred. Oh, we'll see. It takes. It will find out. So yeah, uh, give us a call um, if you know you don't don't feel like using the uh, touch. What's it? Touch dial, phone. Touchpad. What? Touchpad. No, like what do they call a phone that has? <laughs> buttons on it. Is it a touchstone phone? Touch, is it touchstone phone? Is that what they called them? Wasn't it? Keypad? I don't know. Dialing? If you don't like... If you don't feel like dialing, dialing a phone number, uh, you can also, you know, feel free to use that voice memo app on your phone. I think we just about got cooler by not remembering what, what phones it, what, were what called. Phones were, <laughs> I think it was a touchstone phone. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it was. That's a dumb name. It, it, was. it was. And it was a dumb name. We remember that. We remember that. Yeah. But uh, anyways, yeah, you, you can always uh, just record us a little message and send it off to our email. We always appreciate uh, having those. And, but we do love to hear from you, and we want to thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- we are wrapping up our holiday trilogy uh, right. here so, and wrapping up the year. So, um, right. you know, we hope you have a great holiday season finishing this up, mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful new year. Um, yeah. We appreciate every single listen, and uh, we just want to thank you. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you next year. We'll see you next year. Yeah, you've got to say your favorite <laughs> got to thing. Say it. I think I've done that every time, too. I think so. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone.